So one of the things I find really interesting about this sermon series is um, ancient wisdom, modern times, kind of taking a different topic every Sunday. Um, last week we got to hear on music. Today we'll be discussing work. And you know and I both know that we're not going to be able to say everything there is to say. We're going to have to very much get a focus, get a little bit of a narrower view. Um, and I think this is why I get a little bit excited, especially in this sermon series for life groups, right? Because that's when you get to take the time and figure out, okay, the people in your life group, what are they struggling with with work? Where are they at with work? What's their relationship with work? How can we encourage? How can we help one another? So I think this sermon series in particular, I get kind of just excited for life groups. So we'll try and move through this a little bit quickly and then get to those life groups. As... I was thinking about this morning, part of the difficulty in talking about work, better hold on to this or I'll forget to change the slide. Part of the difficulty in talking about work is that we may have very different dispositions towards it, right? Maybe you love your job. Maybe you get a lot of meaning, a lot of purpose from it. But that's certainly not the only experience, right? See, I can stand up here and I can say something that Pastor Dan and Pastor Nate probably never could. I don't love my job. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I'm thankful for my job. I'm thankful for the things it facilitates, the opportunities it provides. But I don't love the day-in, day-out work. Right? And I know I'm not alone in this. In... 2016, oh boy, here come the statistics. In 2016, Pew Research did a study and found that 30% of Americans say their current employment is just a job to get them by. 30%. One third of all workers you meet are just working a job just to get them by. I have a coworker. I'll sometimes run across in the break room or just in the hall in passing. Now I'll ask him, you know, how's your day going? How's your week going? I get the same response every single time without fail. It's become a little bit of a ritual, a little bit of a game with us. Every time he'll say, and how many of you heard this? Just another day in paradise, right? And the, that, that statement's never not sarcastic, right? And so far, we've only talked about the work we do for a paycheck, there's so much more. You get home at the end of a busy day, come back to the house, the apartment. There's laundry, dishes, cooking, pets, right? Some of you may know Linnea and I are expecting our first child in December. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. A couple of you have told us that's a lot of work, right? I have no idea what to expect. Given that work is such an enormous part of our lives, we're not going to be able to touch on everything. So just briefly, I want to touch on kind of the original plan, the original design for work, how our work can impact others, and what can often distract us from this work. So let's go ahead and pray for a moment, get into it. Um, Lord, you know what my prayer has been for this week, the past couple of weeks. Lord, just help. You know, there are times when that's all we can say. Thank you for your word to guide us. Thank you for the community here. I pray that you just help us to encourage one another as we go into a week that will probably most likely be filled with work. Just pray that your spirit would speak. In your son's name I pray. Amen.
All right, don't forget slides. So as scripture opens up, it doesn't take long to get to the topic of work. All right, as the first page of Genesis opens, as the scene is set, we're met with a God who is a God at work, a God creating. It doesn't take long at all. In fact, the first thing we learn about this God is that it's a God who works. When humanity is created, one of the first interactions is in Genesis chapter 2, and it says, yep, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Right? And this isn't just mundane work either. In fact, the first example we have of this work being done, God invites humanity to name the animals. This isn't something small. God creates this and then brings humanity alongside. And says, why don't you help me? Why don't you add your own touch to this? In addition to naming the animals, we see um, providing for the garden, providing for the flourishing. And there's also the command to multiply. It's not just going to stay here. As humanity multiplies, as more people are brought into the family, the garden is going to expand, right? This place of relationship between God and humanity, this place of flourishing, this good gift is going to be expanded to others. That brings us to our first point this morning. Work is a partnership. Work is a partnership. God creates, but then he also invites humanity alongside to help out. I want to paint a little bit of a picture this morning. Imagine for a second um, someone in the art world. Let's just go with Van Gogh, all right? So we've got a picture of Starry Night. Imagine for a second Van Gogh brings this half-completed canvas of Starry Night to you and says, in fact, I want you to help me finish this, right? I want you to add your own touches. In fact, do you know anyone that we can bring in? I think this is going to be better if we work together on this. Oh, and by the way, when we're done, why don't you help me name it? Right? It's crazy, but that's the God we see in Genesis, a God that continually invites his people into the work that he is already doing. And for the people of God, this doesn't change, right? The people of Israel... We're trying to build a nation to promote flourishing, to promote relationships between human and human, between human and God, the kind of nation that when the surrounding nations looked in, they could see the character of God. The early church is no different. They're trying to build a community that bears one another's burdens, a community that's promoting that flourishing, a community that when the surrounding people look in, they see that character of God. From the Garden of Eden to the people of Israel to the early church to today, there is much more overlap in our work than we often realize. See, the people of God are always given these spheres of influence, sometimes large, sometimes small. And within that sphere, we partner with God to create, to organize, to promote flourishing to bring other people in. Say, that all sounds well and good, but you don't understand what I do for a living, right? I'm not an artist. I'm not building a business. I just dot, 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 fill in the blank, right? I just stock shelves. I just deliver packages. 
I just stare at a screen. I know. I know it feels like that. It really does. There's a couple of hurdles we're up against. One is we are in a culture that just demeans certain kinds of work, right? It just does. In addition, we face the mundane, right? The fear of things just being the same day in and day out. I was reading a uh, section by an author I like, Malcolm Gladwell. It doesn't really matter. He was talking about a psychology experiment. They would, these psychologists would invite people in, had a table, and they said, we'll pay you $5 to build this Lego set. I'd do it, right? Sounds like a good deal to me. $5, they build the Lego set, they set it aside and go, we'll give you another $5 if you build another Lego set. And they just recorded how many people will build these sets one after another after another. That was the first group. Then they brought a second group in. They said, $5, build this Lego set. And they built the Lego set. And then they would tear the Lego set apart right in front of their eyes and go, you want $5 to rebuild that? Guess which group built more sets, right? There's something about the mundane, doing the same thing over and over again that we are absolutely terrified of, right? But I'm not sure that's the same with God. You want to know what's fascinating to me? Jesus. Probably should talk about him for a little bit. Jesus has this period of time on earth. And the things we think about when we think of Jesus, the teaching, the healing, the miracles were the vast minority of his life, right? His ministry lasts three years. For three decades before that, his life looks like the hard work of a carpenter, day in and day out. It looks like synagogue on the weekend, right? Friends, family, relationships, Roman taxes, does it sound more familiar? Or perhaps we could talk about the Apostle Paul. Just so you know, I'm going to reference Paul quite a bit. It sounds really weird if I'm talking in the third person, so I never will. Let's just make that promise right now, okay? The Apostle Paul, highly educated, tasked with spreading the gospel across the known world, writes one-third of the New Testament. And yet, if we ask the Apostle Paul, what do you do for a living, and meant it like we mean it today, his answer would be, I sew tents in the marketplace. I'm a tent maker. Really? The thing we have to figure out is, would we have seen that as wasted time, the carpentry, the tent making, the day-to-day -day stuff? Would we somehow have seen that as beneath us? Paul doesn't see it as beneath him. In fact, in his writings, he repeatedly encourages and emphasizes the blessing that everyday work can be. So that's the second point. Work is a blessing. I want to look through a couple of passages of Scripture where Paul emphasizes this. First one is Acts chapter 20. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. 
In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Another section where Paul talks about this is Ephesians 4. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Do you see the emphasis for Paul? He's providing for his necessities. He's providing for the necessities of those around him. But right after, his mind goes to who's in need. Who's in the community is weak. Who's sick. Who's struggling. Can I confess something? That's not where my mind immediately goes. Right after my necessities are taken care of, after the things are crossed off the list, my first thought is usually, awesome, now I have free time. Or awesome, now I have spending money, as if that was different from any other type of money. Right? Too often am I hesitant to ask, God, who do you want me to help? Where do you want this to go? You see, this culture will take as much of your time and your money as you're willing to give it. There's a reason entertainment and advertising are massive industries. You're not going to wake up one day and they go, sorry, we ran out of stuff for you. We got nothing else. It was weird to see a, almost a physical representation of this during the pandemic, during the lockdown. I would walk out my front door. And at my neighbor's front door, there would be packages, right? Now, you say packages. I don't want you to hear a couple of packages. I want you to hear a stack of packages, right? How many of you saw this? Or maybe this was your house. I don't know. I'm not here to judge. But as I would walk down the street, door after door would be the same, during the pandemic, I saw my first Amazon delivery van. I also saw my 500th Amazon delivery van, right? As I was preparing for this sermon, I, uh, I just went on Amazon and I started looking at products. Like, what could I spend my money on if I just wanted to for some reason? I got a few of my favorites up here. The first one is a fridge, you know, very practical. If you want to cool down, a single can. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bargain. Yeah, absolutely. The second one is, you know, if you have Prime, by tomorrow morning, you can be the proud owner of 1,500 live ladybugs. Okay, I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm a little sympathetic to them because I know they can use, be used for gardening and stuff, but I still think it's a little weird. And then my favorite is the baby mop. <laughs> this is totally going on our register, by the way. I mean, you're going to be washing that anyway. Why not get some extra mileage out of it? Right? Look, I'm not, I'm not trying to knock online shopping. I'm really not. I'm not trying to knock shopping in general. I'm just saying that I want Paul's attitude, right? I want that moment where I go, okay, God, who do you want me to help? Where do you want this to go? I want the Spirit to show me the good that can be done with the resources he's given me.
Um, as I was studying, uh, came across a, a new story, fascinating new story. Um, this is St. Bede's Episcopal Church in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Everything I'm about to tell you happened within about the last week or two. St. Bede's partnered with a nonprofit called RIP Medical Debt. We need to talk about RIP Medical Debt for a moment because they're a fascinating company. When a hospital gives up on collecting on a bill, they will often sell that bill to a debt collector, usually for pennies on the dollar. So say you owe the hospital $1,000, right? They sell it to a debt collector for $100, then the debt collector comes after you for the whole thousand, trying to make their money back. RIP Medical Debt steps in and buys up that medical debt, once again for pennies on the dollar. Then they try and partner with other organizations to raise the money to pay that off. Back to St. Bede's in Santa Fe. St. Bede's raises $15,000, right? It's a lot of money. Not a crazy amount, but it's a lot of money. With that $15,000, partnering with RIP Medical Debt, they're able to pay off a value of $1.4 million in medical debt. Right? Once again, it's not how much this non-for-profit bought it for. It's just how much the total value of the debt was. $15,000, they pay off $1.4 million. RIP works with a very certain set of families. You have to be two times under the poverty limit to even qualify. That $1.4 million represents 782 families that were cleared of medical debt. That represents, literally, all of the eligible debt in the state of New Mexico. And then they had some money left over, so they started paying off debts in Arizona, just because they could. This is not a huge church, and yet they're finding a way to help those in need. And sometimes it takes being creative. Sometimes it takes someone going, well, you know what we've never thought of, right? When you partner with God in your work, and you start to see him using the resources he's given you to bless others, to help others, to strengthen others, to encourage others. And in return, they are praising God and thanking God. It's a lot harder to think about your work as meaningless. So we've looked at how we partner with God in our work. We've looked at how God wants to use our work to be a blessing to others. As we're wrapping up, I want to talk for a moment about what can often distract us from that work. I ran across a sentence that kind of stopped me in my tracks a little bit. It said, the opposite of work is not rest. The opposite of work is idleness, right? Rest is a part of the plan from the beginning. Rest and work are two sides of the same coin. God does everything he can to get his people to rest on a consistent basis. But idleness, idleness is something different. Idleness is a third thing altogether. Paul warns about idleness in Thessalonians, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, said, 
Christians. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know you ought to imitate us because we are not idle when we were among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But the toil and labor we worked day and night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. This comes to our third point today. The distraction is idleness. The other, it was Saturday, about a week ago. Linnea was nannying for the evening. And uh, I'm sitting on the couch watching TV. And I remember the moment I started thinking, I'm not enjoying this anymore, right? And it's not about the show. I'm just not enjoying this whole situation. If I got up, went to bed, and got some rest, I knew that would be better. I knew I would enjoy that more. If I got up and got a couple of things done, I knew I would enjoy that more. So let me ask you, an hour later, where do you think I was? Right there, watching the same show, still not having a good time. <laughs> There's something about idleness, I hate this feeling. There's something about idleness that just keeps you there. You almost have to be shaken out of it, right? Now, I want to be careful. I have a couple of friends that struggle with depression. Please understand that's not what I'm talking about here. It's not what I'm talking about here at all. But often what I suffer from is just plain old idleness, right? It's the car just idling. You're not going anywhere. You're not driving anywhere. But you're still burning gas. You're still putting wear and tear on the car. Can't think to just shut it off. And it doesn't often, it doesn't always even end at idleness. Too often, if you're not about the work God's given you, you'll get way too interested in the work that he's given other people. Right? This is why Paul warns about being a busybody. And it's a bigger deal to him than we think it is. Because he's trying to form this church community. Being idle, your work just won't get done. But when you start setting aside your business to get in other people's business, that's the kind of thing that will tear a church apart. Right? As we wrap up today, I kind of want to... I want to turn the focus a little bit. We've shown how you know, work is a partnership with God. We've talked about how God wants to use that partnership to bless others. We've talked about how idleness can get in the way of that. But if we leave here and the idea is that we just need to work harder, I will have largely failed, right? You don't need some sort of guilt trip for your Monday morning. You don't need another thing layered on top of that. Instead, go into your work this Monday, and please understand, I'm talking to myself right now. Go into your work knowing that God wants to be there with you, 
He wants you to use His strength. He wants you to have His eyes to see the people around you in need. I think this morning, for me, is just a wake-up call to what God's doing with that work and how He wants to help me in it. So that at the end of the day, I can say like Jesus in John chapter 5 said. Some people came to him talking about the Sabbath, and his response was, look, my father is working until now, and I'm also working. You're not alone in your work. God wants to be there with you in it.